Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. The Women's Football Show. With Leanne Sanderson. Absolutely first class. On TalkSport 2. Hello, this is TalkSport's Women's Football Show podcast. I'm Leanne Sanderson, bringing you loads of exclusive content. We'll be here every week with the very best of the show. Don't forget you can listen back to the full women's football show via the TalkSport app. This week we're on Monday at 10pm, so swipe for the TalkSport 2, find Monday and you can listen in full to the show then. I was joined this week by highest capped lionesses of all time, Farrah Williams, to chat about her inspirational career and what her future plans are. Farrah, how are you? I'm absolutely hanging, if I'm deadly honest. <laughs> Can we have a little <laughs> I'm not bit sure of a- I could say that, but yeah, I had a 40th party on, on Saturday. And yeah, I'm a little bit tired and my feet are really, really hurting. I now saw I the heels you were wearing. Wear, yeah, now I know why I don't wear them. Yeah, it was a good night though, wasn't it? It was yeah. your fo- I can't believe you're 40. Like, you still look about 25. Thanks. And you look great, <laughs> but I just can't believe that you're 40 years old. Like, you and I have known each other since I was nine. Mm. So you would have been like 13. Yeah. And it's one of those ones. I remember when we first met at Hackney Marshes and I was watching you and the other players and I thought, I want to be like them when I was older. And then who would have thought we'd grow up to be, you know, teammates? Mm. Do you remember that when we first met? How could I not? This little big head. I'm saying little little and big don't really go in the same sentence, but for you it does because you had a big head and you were bigger than everybody in your team and uh, you stood out a mile, not just on the pitch, sorry, not just off the pitch in terms of your size, but on the pitch. Obviously, <laughs> you was that player that everybody was like, this kid's going to make it. And your dad was there and everybody's like, yep, little Leanne. Little? I was like, what part is she little? She's definitely not little, but yeah. I was bigger than everybody. Like, I remember when they tried to make me play in my own age group because I always played, like, two or three years above. Mm. And they tried to... And the players were, like, running through my legs, literally. (laughs) That's how small they were in comparison. But, um, Farah, you've had an incredible career, you know, when I look back on everything you've achieved. Like, did you ever imagine that you would go on to achieve all the things you have done, you know, England's all-time cap, male or female? It's incredible. Yeah, I mean... did I ever think it? No, definitely not. I mean, you, you know what it's like when you're young, maybe a little bit different for you. You probably saw people that you could aspire to be like, especially because you come through the Arsenal setup. Mine was a little bit different. Lived on an estate, kind of went through youth clubs, trying to get myself seen so I can get into a team. And obviously the game wasn't professional. So did I ever think that we'd be where we, where we ended up? Definitely not. But obviously super proud of what, what I did and, you know, the journey that I chose because I could have gone on different directions when I played different teams I could have gone to America kind of wasn't the right timing for me could have should have probably signed for Arsenal at a time that I you know was when I was like 17 chose to go and play for Charlton because I was thinking the game's not professional 
do I want to win everything every week and feel like it's easy? No, I want to challenge myself. So I kind of chose a different path, but it, it kept me motivated, motivated and it obviously made, you know, games and training and everything else for me really difficult. But yeah, I am, um, what, 23 years as a, a player and 19 and a half at England, so didn't do too bad. It's amazing. And you touched upon it there, you know, with regards to where the game is at now. I mean, I was we, we've seen each other four times in the last week. How lucky right. am I getting to see you? And uh, I saw you at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea versus Manchester United. And I remember I was coming from Milton Keynes on a train and I was looking, I saw these Man United scars. I'm thinking, the men are not playing today. And my train was packed with, like, Man United fans, Chelsea fans, like... I can't even... I, I want to get your opinion on what you think because I can't believe where the game is at now. Like, what do you put that down to? The Lionesses a little bit. I think the success of the Lionesses in the summer of, what was it, two years ago now, 21, when they won the Euros, I think certainly how they won it, the fact that obviously it was televised and promoted by different brands throughout the year because we hosted it in the UK. I think that really kick-started where the game's, you know, potentially going to go. It's always been growing. We already know it's always been growing. Arsenal have probably been, you know, the leading women's teams in terms of fan base and, you know, really trying to get bums on seats. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have imagined it to be where it is. And obviously the, the takeover and everything that's that's come into place or coming into place. Um, I'm excited to see where we can take the game. I'm also a little bit apprehensive. Um, you know, I want sustainability in the game. I think, you know, what we've paved the way for this generation, I'm hoping that, you know, the game is able to then sustain it and, you know, pave a way for the next generation. So we have to be careful where it goes. I'm interested to hear some of the, you know, what some of the ideas around what they're going to do with the league. I've already heard they want it to be like a Glastonbury feel. So I'm a bit like, hmm, not sure what that looks like. What is that? Well, like a festival. Yeah, exactly. So I heard the, the woman at Newco, I think her name is it, Nikki, or I can't remember. Um, seen it on, I was just watching Sky Sports News and yeah, pop, up she pops and goes, yep, we're trying to make the women's game like a Glastonbury feel. And I thought, oh, um, what Glastonbury have you been to? The one <laughs> I've been to, I certainly won't want that at football games. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, I hear you. And I think, you know, you touched upon it there as well about the women's game now. But, you know, we had that same final, right? Because I always go back and forth. I always say about visibility, you know, I love Beyonce. I go to watch Beyonce because I know she's coming to the O2. I don't just wait outside. Whereas when we played, there wasn't much visibility. You know, the Lionesses were all over Tower Bridge, the Bridge, and, and rightfully so during the Euros. Mm. But we had that same final, like, you know, 10 years before England, Germany. Yeah, we got battered. But like, and it was on the BBC, but like nobody kind of knew about that, right? Yeah. And I always say, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but I don't think the quality has necessarily got better. I just there's more visibility because when I look at my team at Arsenal and I look at your team when you're at Everton, Cholton, like, you know, there was good players, wasn't there? No, I think that's that's exactly what it is and there's an argument that, you know, this generation or fans of this generation will say that we're a little bit bitter, a little bit jealous of what we're now seeing but for sure, I think, you know, the players that we played with and competed with every single week, the quality was just unbelievable. Some of the players, as you said there, your Arsenal team was untouchable. You know, winning a quadruple, who can say that they'd, they'd do that now in the, women's, in the women's game? I don't think so. But certainly, I think the visibility has made more people watch, which obviously then, because people more people are watching, we seem to think that they're better. The problem is, the people that are now watching are new fans to the women's game and probably have never seen the history of the women's game, so they can't compare the two. So they're always going to be thinking that this is the best now, which is fine because people have their opinions. But, you know, if I was to compare generations, I think if the, you know, the, the players that we grew up playing with alongside, if they were full-time professionals, I mean, it's scary it? to think what, what, what type of players they could be because they had to sacrifice job and balance, you know, family life and everything else. So, yeah, it, it was, um, it'll be frightening to see what it's like. But I don't think this generation... Are they better? There'll probably be some that you could argue that yeah. are as good as and some that aren't. 
Yeah. And obviously I did your podcast last week with you and we spoke a lot about, you know, everything. I mean, you've been on Match of the Day, you know, a couple of weeks ago and it's absolutely incredible, like your transition. Because obviously we talk about my transition from being a player into a pundit and you've done exactly the same thing. And we touched upon it last week about kind of the online abuse that we've got. Can you just touch upon that a little bit, like for your own personal experiences and how you handle the abuse that you get online? Do you know what? I'm one of them. You know you know what I'm like. I, I trust the people that I'm around. Um, I trust that you know, the feedback that they give me, advice that they give me, um, that they're real with that. I'm lucky to have, you know, people that are honest around me. And, you know, what it's like as a player, I was the same. You know, I'd analyse myself right to the to the bottom, from top to bottom, and, and make sure there was nothing, you know, no gaps or whatever missing. I never missed anything in terms of my analysis. So when I read comments about people, for me, and I'm not very good on social media, luckily for me, because if I was, it probably, in terms of the abuse you get, when you do a show, when you talk on the men's game, and it's more so when you talk about men's football than your own. Rarely, you know, when I'm talking about the women's game, do I get abused talking about it. It is more when I transition and talk about the guys' stuff. But as I said, if I wasn't so useless on social media, I'd probably be maybe affected by by some of the abuse you get. But because I'm useless and I don't really read what they have to say, I kind of scroll past it and it, it is what it is. But, I, you know, I've certainly seen how other people have been abused on it, you know, colleagues and players that I've played with, you know, in the past and how much it's affected them. And yeah, look, for sure it has to change. How it changes, I don't know, but there has to be things in place to try and help that that change. Yeah, and you touched upon it there tactically. You know, you're probably the best player I've ever played with and you're tactically unreal. What do you think it is that makes all the coaches you've played for, you don't have to name names, you know, what were the pros and cons of some of the coaches you've had and what was the ones that got the best out of Farrah Williams? It's mad because, you know, when I was younger, I used to, I always used to think, you, you needed to be aggressive with me. You needed to say that I was rubbish and, and whatever else in order to get the best out of me. But that's all I knew in my early days. All I knew in my early days was coaches say, that ain't good enough. You need to do better. You could, you, you could be this player. You've got the potential to do X, Y, and Z. So I was always trying to live up to that expectation of what I could be. I mean, Hope and Mo were obviously very good for me in terms of encouraging me to do my coaching badges, which then made me analyse the game a lot deeper than probably other players would because they probably wasn't thinking about coaching or, or the after-after game. When I had, you know, a manager like Matt Beard, for example, you know, at Liverpool, I think of the three years I had at Liverpool was probably my most enjoyable. And he wasn't, a, a, you know, he wasn't scared to tell you that you weren't good enough. But he was a coach where I think he put his arm around me, told me how much of a good player I was. And it was for the first time in my, in my career that somebody had ever done that as a manager. And I was 30. And I, at first I was thinking this is a little bit uncomfortable because I wasn't used to it. But it certainly brought the best out of me for sure in those three years I played under Matt and we have a really good relationship now. Yeah, I um, like Beardy. I different think with type him, of what skill. you get is what you see is what you get. Yeah. And that's what you ask for, right? Open and honest communication. I think a lot of coaches sugarcoat when you're not playing. Mm. And all we ask as players is mm. tell us, yeah. you know, be yeah. open and honest. And I think that's a big problem in the women's game for years where the coaches have just not told us the honest truth. Mm. You clearly think that player's better than me yeah. <laughs> right now, not mm. forever. Just mm. tell me that and I'll work harder to even get back into your team. Yeah, I think coaching is difficult, isn't it? Because... I think sometimes, especially when you've got a group of players, sometimes it's just preference. And that's the same with, you know, when we watch football and we think about, you know, the teams we support and why we support them and why we debate and argue who's the best player in the world or who's the best goalkeeper, whatever it is. It's about opinions. And I feel like sometimes with managers they, or you know, coaches, they have a preference of who they want to play. It doesn't mean to say that the person in the same position needs to go and improve something. I think what they tend to do is like, you know, Leanne, I'm going to start far ahead of you, for example, but Never. you need to go and work. Yeah, you need to go and work on your left foot, or you need to go and work on your headering. But even if you worked on your headering, and even if you worked on your left foot, you're still not going to play ahead of me. 
for example. Exactly. Because their preference is that I play if I'm fit and you're the second or you're the backup to me if I'm unfit. Now, giving that information then doesn't make that player feel bad. But they understand that actually this is my preference. This is my number one striker or whatever. You're my number two. Continue to do the work you're doing. You don't have to improve an area because you have the qualities. But right now, this is who I prefer. And I think that that's... If players heard that, I think you get a better reaction than lying. I feel, you know, the amount of coaches you hear say to players, you know, go and practice and, you know, as I said, left foot, right foot, head or whatever. And they did that for months and years on end and, and still weren't good enough. Exactly. And leads me to my next question. Would you want to coach in a WSL or beyond? Because obviously now you've gone into punditry, it doesn't mean you can't do that. But is this something that you thought about? Yeah. I, you know what? Throughout my whole career, I always thought I'm going to be a coach and... You know, at the end of my career, when I, when I finished, I did a little bit of coaching at Reading as one of the coaches. Didn't really get much opportunity. Of course, coaching is difficult. You need experiences before you jump in, you know, at the deep end. Yes, I'd love to coach. I think the financially it's not possible. I think, you know, the, the salaries in a women's game, unless you have those experiences, unless you're a head coach, it's really difficult to encourage any female to, to, or male to go and coach within the women's game because the salary isn't good enough. Before I round, we round up our WSL action, I just wanted to ask you, I won the penalty in 2015 where you stepped up and was the reason why we won the bronze medal. I remember I said to you, Head, do you want it? Because we called each other Big Head. Mm. And you were like, yeah, I'm having it. How did that feel when you stepped up for England and, you know, it was the first bit of silverware we've ever won? Do you know what? I'd already, because we'd all done it, you know, prior to the tournament. I think, you know, Mark had asked a few of us to practice our penalties and I think he had five or six penalty takers. I actually wasn't the penalty taker. I don't know if you remember the conversation when Mark had the meeting, he said, Kaz, you're, Kav, Kavan Kani, you're a penalty taker. If you don't fancy it, then Farah take it. I don't know if you remember that conversation. Yeah, I do actually. It was kind of like, oh, you take it if you don't want it. And the, the first goal that I scored, a penalty against Colombia, Kaz Kani actually scored, put us one up, went down for the penalty and she gave me the penalty. And then from then I kind of took the second penalty and then that was the third penalty in, in, a, in the tournament. So it was kind of like I'd been through those processes. It was just another game, another penalty routine and... Yeah, I mean, we talk about moments in game, you you, you know, that was in terms of on-field and how much time you got, you was probably disappointed. But yeah. you popped up with the, the biggest moment throughout the tournament and, and won the penalty in the dying minutes to, to win us our first, you know, medal at a tournament. So football is made of moments and, and, and when they come, you know, you certainly delivered on that occasion. Likewise, Faz. There was another action-packed WSL weekend to catch up on. Farah and I broke down the biggest stories from the latest round of fixtures. It was another eventful weekend in the WSL. So let's hear how it all unfolded with TalkSports women's football reporter, Uma Gurav. After a busy week of Champions League and Conti Cup action, the WSL was back. Chelsea rounded off a perfect week, having just qualified for the Champions League knockout stages. They put three past visitors Brighton, two of those coming from who else but Lauren James. And her fellow Lioness, Fran Kirby, also made it onto the score sheet. The Lionesses again stole the show as Manchester United held on to beat Aston Villa. Nikita Paris's two first-half goals proved enough for the win, although Rachel Daly managed to pull one back as she slotted a penalty past Mary Earps. Arsenal travelled to Liverpool, desperate to put things right after that shock defeat in their opening game of the season at the Emirates. Club legend Viviana Miedemar put them ahead from 20 yards out in what was her first goal since picking up an ACL injury in December 2022. Caitlin Ford then smartly finished off a cross to make it 2-0. It was the perfect way to celebrate Jonas Eideval's 100th game in charge of the club, and it was also a very happy birthday for the Arsenal boss too. Manchester City kept their title hopes alive with a 2-0 victory over Tottenham. 
club record signing Jill Rhodes out with an ACL injury, but City prevailed thanks to an early own goal and a 13th goal of the season from Bunny Shaw. She now leads the race for the Golden Boot. A huge relegation battle saw West Ham conquer Bristol City 2-1. Bristol City are still winless at home and look like they'll need nothing short of a miracle to avoid the drop. And it was Leicester who beat Everton in that mid-table clash. Denise Kymans' wonder strike gave the Foxes their first win in nine games, but it leaves Everton far closer to the danger zone than they'd like. At both ends of the table, it looks like this WSL season is going down to the wire. So Farrah, Chelsea 3, Brighton 0, another week, another Lauren James masterclass. Is there any other talented, more talented player than Lauren James in the world right now? I mean, people will always say I'm biased towards Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I think, I, look, I've been, we've known Lauren James for a long time. From 14 when I was at Arsenal, she was training with the first team. Sounds normal for us, right? But in the modern day women's game, you have to be 16 to train with the first team. So she's been around a long time. I've seen, you know, the ability that this, this kid's got. And, you know, at the minute, I don't think anybody can touch her. The, the things that she does with the ball. I mean, her goal yesterday against Brighton, the execution of it. The ball's like behind her. One. The ball's behind her. She's wrapped her left foot mm. round it. Into, I mean, she's both footed. She scores, you know, different types of goals. She doesn't even have... She's a bit like Kelly, you know. They don't have to be in the game or involved at every moment of the game. But they produce the magic when it's needed. And, yeah, I mean, she's on a, a really good scoring run at the moment. And the absence of Sam Kerr really helps. Um, I just don't think there's anyone better than her currently. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think we could do a whole show mm. on Lauren James. And I think players like you and I really appreciate naturally gifted players like Lauren James. I feel like you and I were both the same like that. You know, football was kind of not easy for us. Mm. But when it comes to the technique and all that, I see Lauren James, a lot of the way she plays, not the same position as you, but very similar. And that topped off a really good week for Chelsea, obviously topping the group in the Champions League. You know, Real Madrid against Real Madrid. Real Madrid are now out. How, you know much do you think Emma Hayes will want this Champions League? I know she won it with us at Arsenal and she's often quick to remind people of that she was our sister. But how much do you think she'd want to go out from Chelsea winning this Champions League? Yeah, I think that's the ultimate for her. I think, you know, what she's achieved and how she's transitioned this Chelsea women's team over the, you know, 10 years that she's been there has been phenomenal. Um, the way they compete on every level. So it's certainly something I know, you know, will be at the back of her mind. And not just her, I think the players will, will want to do it for her as well. I think it will be difficult. I think, you know, obviously Barcelona are probably the team that they'll have to beat along the way or in the final in order to do that. And I think they're a very, very good team, as we know. But Sam Kerr being injured, I think that plays a big part in whether they can or can't win it. Um, I mean, I know they've brought in a replacement, whether it was needed or not. Um, That's I what I wanted know. to ask you, because that was actually my next question. Myra Ramirez came on into the game yesterday. You could see a glimpse of what she's about. But... Do you think Chelsea needs to make this one? And obviously they've got Aggie Beaver-Jones, Mia Fischel, you know, Lauren James can sometimes go in the nine, Frank Kirby. World record-breaking fee, you know, 425,000. Do you think Chelsea needed a player like that at this moment in time? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure she's a, the, the ideal replacement for, for Sam Kerr in, you know, the short term. Will she still play alongside Sam Kerr if Sam Kerr signs a new contract, it, you know, after this year when she comes back from an ACL? How that looks for her as a player fighting in this Chelsea team. As you mentioned there, um, Fischl can play up there and I think she gives them a different dynamic when when they play in terms of how she plays. Play into her, she's very good at holding up the ball. Players can work off of her. Something Chelsea have never been able to do before. And then you as you mentioned there, Lauren James is a false nine. You've got Frank Kirby who, for whatever reason, isn't really playing that much at Chelsea. I know she played at the weekend against Brighton, but if they can get her playing regularly, I think she's a good enough replacement between herself and 
Lauren James in terms of you know that interchange of position. So I don't know. Maybe squad dev squad squad depth is what Emma's thinking about. Um, and who knows what what she can come and do? But that's a heavy price tag on her shoulders to be uh, coming in and trying to not not you know do what Sam Kerr did but certainly you know get some goals which Chelsea are going to need if they're going to compete yeah and now just to touch upon Brighton who are now sitting in a, in 10th with just 11 points on the board overall it's been a pretty poor season for them how do you think they can turn this around and Katie Robinson was actually on the bench yesterday in the game you know started on the bench arguably their best player what do you make of that it's a difficult one I think Katie had a, a fantastic season last year um I think her form's dipped. I think I think that'll probably be part of the reason why the coach, you know, Melissa's probably put her on the bench, give her that little bit of rest and maybe that little bit of motivation to go again. I think sometimes, you know, it's like you're playing all the time. You're probably the best player in the team. A lot, you know, they rely a lot on her <clears throat> for somebody so young. Um, maybe she needed that. Maybe she needed to be put on the bench and, <clears throat> as I say, get that motivation back to go again. But yeah, I'm disappointed in terms of their position where, where Brighton are at. They started really well at the beginning of the season. And I think Melissa as a coach, you know, very, very good coach in terms of getting the best out of players that, you know, have mixed abilities. I think she's very good at, at, at doing that. Um, so it'd be interesting. I know they signed a couple of players in, in January. It'd be interesting where they go from here. They weren't expected to beat Chelsea yesterday. No, for sure. And that leads me to my next game, Manchester United 2, Aston Villa 1. Another game with an English player scored a brace. Nikita Paris. Mark Skin has been under a lot of pressure, you know, these last couple of weeks. But do you think that result will ease the pressure a little bit? Um, maybe. I think, but again, they're expected to beat Aston Villa. Um, you mentioned Nikita. I, for the life of me, I can't tell you why she doesn't start in this Man United team. You know, Same as when she was at Arsenal, though, as well. Yeah. Do you remember? I know that was a bit of a weird move. Went to Leon, mm. came back, but she always scores goals wherever yeah. she goes. And she's just an honest player. I think what she gives you is different to to what you know the, the wide players that they have at Man United. And and she started the season in form in terms of goals. Every time she's played, she's pretty much scored. So to to drop somebody like that and try and get some consistency out of other players, I've you know for this season I've been kind of baffled by it. I thought she had a really good season last year. Unlucky to miss out on the World Cup uh, squad. And then I think she started the season well. And for some reason, you know, Mark doesn't seem to want to play her. But when she plays, she produces. And we saw that again yesterday. And I think that's where the fans kind of discontent came from at Stamford Bridge last week. She started on the bench again mm -hmm. and she's always scoring goals. And for the other team, Aston Villa, Carla Ward, you know, she said post-match that she felt like her side dominated the second half. But the highest level of women's football, it's hard to leave yourself of a hill to climb in the second half. You know, in a situation like that, Carla Ward, Aston Villa was so good last year. What do you make of their season so far and why do you think they've, it's been so different? Um, maybe expectation that they've put on themselves. Maybe players trying to live up to that expectation probably don't have it, you know, in them, you know, to kind of deliver on that level yet. They've also... Lots of changes, you know, they brought a lot of attacking players in, in, into the squad. Um, you know, you think about the likes of Jordan Nobbs and Lucy Staniforth, who played a lot of football last year, not getting into the team this year. We saw Kenza Darley injured, you know, her and Rachel Daly had a really good connection last year. It's an interesting one. Uh, you know, are the players to blame partly as a coach to blame also partly? There just really is a lot of inconsistency there. I think they've got a good squad. I think if they can come together, they could get a run of games behind them. I know they well, this one makes it you know another defeat in the last six, but they won three of the last six. So it kind of took the pressure off Carlo a little bit. And again, I don't think they was expected to go to Man United and win. But I think outside of the top four, they would expect themselves to beat you know the teams that are in and around them and below that. And this conundrum of Noah Moritz. You know, after fielding an ineligible player midweek three times, she'd play for Arsenal. You know. 
the FA are investigating, but where do you see this? How do you see this being resolved? And how does a situation like this even happen? Leanne, this is crazy. Carla Ward made the same mistake when she was Birmingham City women's manager. She played an ineligible player in the cup and they got fined for it. And she's done the exactly exact same thing at another club. So is it lazy? I don't know. I don't know how you can make that mistake twice as a coach. I think it also has to come from the coach and also the player. Because you and I, I mean, I could tell you every single... I know you're a bit like a stato like me. I could tell you every game I'd played in. So it's just it just seems a bit lapsedaisical to me. As I said, I, just, I think it's lazy. Um, it is really lazy because she would have known that she would have played. And especially when you're a player that isn't playing regularly in WSL, you normally get opportunities in the cup games like the Conti Cup or like the FA Cup for, for early stages of the FA Cup. So for her to know the reason why Maritz probably signed for Villa was because she wanted more playing time. So she would have known... She would have only had, you know, opportunities within the cup. So again, it's like, you know, you, you've brought a player to the club. Is it a player that you wanted? Is it a player that the club have taken on? Because if it's a player that you wanted, you should know more than what you've shown, you know about them. Yeah, and moving on to our last game, our two former sides, Liverpool 0, Arsenal 2. Another win for Arsenal keeps them right in the title race, thanks to Amidamar and Ford with the goals. Amidamar was out for 310 days in total with the ACL injury. But how important is it that she's back again? And scoring. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm glad she scored. I, I absolutely love Miedema, you know, for uh, at one point, obviously, before the injury was, was one of the best players in the world, for sure, certainly competing with that. You know, those injuries take different amount of times for different people and people's bodies react differently and rehab, you, you know, goes differently. So comparing one ACL injury to the next is really difficult. And obviously she's had a harder time coming back than maybe some of her teammates. But her goal yesterday just shows the quality that she has. Now I think if she can get herself on a good run and get into some form, because she's out of contract at Arsenal. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'd hate to see her leave, but if she was to leave, I wouldn't mind her coming to Chelsea. But yeah, she's a player that I think, you know, the, the club should honour her a, a new contract, whether they do or they don't. Who's to know? I guess they're probably weighing up her recovery and how she performs off the back of a you know a major injury. Yeah, I think, again, she's one of my favourite players to watch as well. And another player, a great addition, Emily Fox from North Carolina Courage. I mean, she was absolutely brilliant yesterday. And we've seen a lot of Americans come over to the league in recent years and haven't quite stayed, haven't quite performed at the levels that we know they can. What do you make of her start to her Arsenal career? Yeah, to be honest, Leanne, I didn't know much about her. And as you said, I've seen her and, and certainly saw that game uh, yesterday against Liverpool. And I thought she was phenomenal, really front, front-footed, fullback, aggressive, doesn't mind carrying the ball, but sometimes you get fullbacks that carry the ball and over carry the ball and don't really find when they get in the final third that can find that pass. Well, this is something that, this, that you know, this player certainly can do and she proved that yesterday, I think, in terms of like uh, dribbles. I think she was one of the highest pass completion, tackles, jewels. So, I mean, deserving of a player of the match performance, but I'd like to see this continued. It's, you know, it's it's easy to have one at one or two good games and she's obviously got to settle into the country, but she certainly looks like a, a good addition for this Arsenal team. Yeah, for sure. And then your former club, Liverpool, poured out the office. They're still having a great season, now sitting in fifth. What do you make of the ambitions of the club? Because obviously we've seen you were at the club, back-to-back WSL championships. Then obviously Jurgen Klopp spoke about it this year, how they didn't really invest enough in the women's, in the women's game. And now they are. What do you make about their season so far? Yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think they're punching in terms of the financial backing that they have from the club. I think they're, they're, they're way, you know, punching way above what, what financially, in terms of what the resources they have to bring players in. I think they're in a really good position. I think, you know, they could argue, given the, 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 the amount that they are allowed to spend and bring players in, they're in a very good position and are competing with, 
you know, some of the best teams. But it's just disappointing. As I said, when I was there at, at Liverpool, we won back-to-back titles. You really would have thought that they would have injected some money into the, the women's side of things, tried to make it better, tried to bring some players and really tried to kick on and start dominating, you know, like the men have tried to do it and compete with Manchester City. They chose not to. They lost a lot of, you know, very good players. And then they haven't really backed them since then. They've gone down, come back up. And then they put a little bit more money in the season. You know, I've got a good relationship with the manager, Matt Beard. And, but it's not enough for a club as big as Liverpool, in my opinion. There needs to be more done. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Next up, we're going to talk about Farah. Tottenham 0, Manchester City 2. A touching tribute to midfielder Jill Ward, who's sadly another player that's ruptured the ACL in the game against Manchester United midweek. When the players scored, they ran over to the dugout and Lauren held up a shirt with Rod's name on the back. How much of a loss is your all going to be to the team this year? Huge. You know, I think in terms of them signing her, it was a big signing. Um, I think her performances this year, the way she, you know, carried the teams at times. Um, she's a goal-scoring midfielder, so obviously they're now going to be really reliant on Bunny Shaw to continue, you know, her good form of goals. But yeah, huge miss. But it's just, Leanne, I cannot get my head around the amount of ACLs within the women's game. Even outside of our league, I've heard or read a couple of more have happened within the women's game. Like how nothing has been sorted or resolved or tried to make this situation a little bit better. You just hear week after week, new ACL injury within the women's game. So, you know, something needs to be done there for sure. It's just disappointing. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole show on this because I've had the injury myself. You've had your fair share of knee injuries. But I think, you know, I agree with you. If it was in the men's game, I feel like, you know, there'd be more done about it. And again, it's almost like we're desensitised to the fact that, oh, it's just another player, mm. you know, and everybody kind of just goes on board. But hopefully, you know, things can start to get a little bit better. And for Spurs, it's been an improvement considering they lost 7-0 to City last time they faced them. Was it a frustrating game for Martha Thomas, who's starting to lose ground in the Golden Boot race along with Bunny Shaw? Is the gulf between Spurs, you know, and the other teams just too big of a gap to bridge? 
I think so. I think not just Spurs. I think, you know, a lot of the teams, I think outside of Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, and probably you can see now Man United dropping into that pack. You know, there's a second pack, I think, within the group. You're starting to see that this year. I think they had, you know, maybe overachieved last year in terms of finishing top three at Man United. So I think we're starting to see, I think Tottenham are in that bracket there with Man United and the likes of Liverpool and probably Aston Villa. Um, but I think the manager's good and I think he's got a philosophy. I think, you know, when you have a coach come in and, and they've got an identity, which certainly their coach has, I think for players, you know, to understand that, accept it and build on it. But in terms of the players that are there, are they capable to deliver that philosophy and identity? Completely different thing. I don't think that, you know, the calibre of players, not all of them, but some of them are able and have the qualities to deliver what he wants at, at Spurs. And I'm sure in time, if they start to build and add, they might find that. But yeah, I think, as I say, they probably finished top of that pack of, of teams, but they're not nowhere near, you know, good enough to compete with the top three for sure. Yeah, and talking of the top, you know, now we're going to go to the bottom six pointer. Bristol City one, West Ham two. What could have been done in the game that decides the relegation battle, you know, already Manchester, Bristol, everyone it kind of expected them to go back down, but how difficult has it been for them this season? Yeah, it's really difficult. I think, you know, when you come in from the championship and you're on a really minimum budget, they're the lowest spenders within the league. I think it's really difficult. I think the manager's done a, a fantastic job there um, because the way in which they play, I think she's come, I can't think off the top of my head. I was actually... Um, going to do some work with Bristol at one point because um, Neitz is there as well yeah, Neitz is there. I don't know if she's still doing it but I can't remember how can I not remember for the life of me it doesn't matter but in terms of the job she's done with the young players coming into this league is really difficult what teams have done in the past is try and go toe to toe with some of the teams that are established in the WSL what she's done is try to get the young kids to understand let's stay in the game for as long as we can and, which, and you know what it's like when you're asked to sit behind make a block for kids that she's got there that are 20 years of age, to take that information on and tactics on is really, really difficult. Lauren Smith, you're yeah, talking Lauren about the manager. Smith. There you go. See, I couldn't... It's my all right. Went, um, you know when you're on TV? We spoke about this Yeah, we day. did, we did, when we did. When you got radio That's or, right, or TV, help each other you kind of get... Yeah, <laughs> your mind goes blank. But Lauren Smith, trying to get a team, a young team, to sit in and be a block and be hard to beat and stay in games and play on counter at times... I think that takes some doing from the manager and I think that shows a respect level of the young players that she has. But they are going to struggle and I don't think they come into the league thinking they could, you know, stay up. I think they've built a really good fan base. I think the club's really well run, but just without enough finances to really allow them to compete. So it, it's sad because it's a, it's a great club for the women's game, but financially it's not, not good enough to compete anymore. Yeah, it's difficult. And as for West Ham, they made some incredible January signings, you know, and Katrina Gorey, Christine, Christine Mewis, you know, Selena Zadorsky has gone there as well. How much of a difference do you think that's made? And do you think those players having their contracts, that if they do get relegated, then they can move on? Because these are big contracted players. And, you know, I don't think the club could actually afford to have them there if they were to go down. A lot, we have the, there's a lot of those contracts in the men's game. I'm not sure how they work within our game. We used to go down with our team. <laughs> not that I'd ever went down. <laughs> I was about to say yeah. that. But you would go down and then obviously, you, you know, you stay down there and try and get yourself back up. But luckily for West Ham and luckily for Rianne Skinner that they made those signings because I thought they were really poor. Uh, in terms of their identity, I don't really see one there. I think they're getting away with it because they've got a couple of good players within their squad. So I think, again, at the weekend against Bristol you know they, they they marginally won 2-1 and if they hadn't made those January signings you know my prediction might have been right that Bristol would have beaten them oh god here we go <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute and speaking of signings here's a reminder that deadline day is coming up the WSL transfer window closes on the 31st of January so watch out for any last minute transfers that could be happening our next games for is the one that you and I 
I got the prediction right on this one. Everton nil, Leicester won. Huge confidence boost for Leicester after not winning in their last nine games. But considering where Leicester were at last season, are they being given enough credit for what they've done so far this season? You know what, at the beginning of the season, you know, on my podcast, I was really giving them, you know, a lot of praise. I think the transition and obviously the, the summer signings that they had, I thought they were really, you know, certainly changed or looked like they turned a the corner. They were really aggressive in their play. Um, I think they were front-footed. They are probably covering a lot more ground than other teams could cover and which kept them in games. And they certainly give the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal a, a good run for their money. And then they've gone this nine games where, you know, they haven't been able to, 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 to win a game. So I only put my prediction down for Everton to beat them because they're on such a bad, you know, run of form. But when they do click and get it together, they are able to to pick up results, which they done at the weekend against Everton, who I thought were now coming into form. Clearly not. Yeah. I mean, we could talk, we probably played for nearly every club, both of us in the WSL. So when I say now on to our former club, you know, Everton at this point, you played there for a number of years. Could you see them getting dragged into this relegation battle? No. No, only because I don't think Bristol are able to pick up enough points. Um, I think there's worse teams than them. I think, yeah, Bristol are pretty much a team that everybody expected to go down. And do I think they're good enough to take points off anyone else? No. But what frustrates me of Everton is that they have the funding. The funding's been there. They they have the investment in terms of they bring in a new coach. And I don't really think that they've got any better under their new coach. And I know a lot of people talk about his identity on, you know, Everton, you know, they like to play up from the back. For me, football isn't just about playing out from the back, you know, and, and I think at Everton, they go, oh, yeah, you know, they like to play through the thirds. Well, when I've watched them, they don't seem to have any, you know, quality through the thirds or certainly when they get into that final third, don't seem to know what they're doing. And it just frustrates me because I know that Everton as a club, it's a great club. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't agree. I don't think the manager's good enough to progress them. And I think they've had good backing and funding in order to get a team you know, that certainly can compete with the likes of Man United and, you know, Arsenal or whoever is that third and fourth position. Yeah, but I mean, before we go on to touch upon, you know, Nuco and all the different things that they're going to be bringing to the league, something just came to me while you were talking is, how do you think these teams can get into that top four? You know, because I think it's almost near on impossible at this point, you know, because you touched upon it there a little bit. Like, budget-wise, if a a team has a bigger budget, I know Emma Hayes touched upon it last week, that they will have the same budget, but ultimately they don't really. So it's almost like we're seeing a Super League inside a Super League. How does that, how do other teams break into that? Difficult. I I don't think they do. I really don't think they do. I think, you know, players are attracted as well now by their salary, by the brand. And what I mean by the brand is the name of the club. You know, that brand brand is bigger than anybody else. Um, And it drives people to want to say that they play for that club. So the likes of Liverpool, if they had a bigger budget, there will be players that will be drawn to them. So, you know, they could potentially, with funding, be a club that could break into that top three because they have the name that carries it but they don't have the investment. So it's really difficult. If you're not going to invest, uh, you know, you need to have a name behind you. And I think sometimes Liverpool get away with it because they've got the name, but they don't have the budget. But the likes of Villa, well, the, the men are doing better now. So obviously that might be a place where that can be encouraged for other females. But just outside of that, there's not really, you know, any teams that, you know, a player from abroad will want to come to outside of teams that are playing in the Champions League. Yeah, and this leads me on to what I was talking to you about, Nuco. Back in December, the WSL and the Women's Championship agreed to form a club-owned organisation to run the league's game starting from next season. That organisation is Nuco. They're hoping to capitalise on the growth of the women's game to nurture the leagues. TalkSport's Bradley Hagen sat down with Nuco CEO Nikki Duchette to find out whether the WSL will be expanded. Well, the players are definitely saying we're, we're at capacity. Um, 
I think that's a question in the future. I think right now we need to focus on um, the foundation. I think we need to focus on what's working, but also make what's working work better. And I think if we set up the right decision-making processes and what that looks like, if we do that in the future and that makes sense, it then makes sense for all stakeholders and all parties. Farah, what changes are you expecting to see in the WSL and beyond as we enter the Nuco era? I don't know. It's, it, again, this is, you know, I look at the clubs and how they try and, you know, seen the likes of Arsenal and how they've tried to, you know, promote and th- their games when they play at the Emirates and Chelsea have tried to do it at Stamford Bridge. And I think these are the type of things that, you know, the clubs are going to have to take full responsibility of, you, you know, promoting games, making sure they get, you know, bums on seats, etc. Um, how that happens because we've seen, you know, depending on where you play and what team you are, the crowds aren't great. You know, we can do some one-off games at where, where, where the gates are full, but, you know, there, there's some teams certainly win a WSL that can't. I don't know, they are, you know, are they going to allow it to run away where they have new owners that can invest whatever they want? You, you know, in the men's game, they're, they're, they're trying to pull that back with a financial fair play. At the minute, there's nothing in place like that in the women's game. Um, so could the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, you know, Manchester City kind of run away with their spends? No one be able to keep up. But I'm interested to hear where they want to take it. I mean, I, I did hear a slight interview where she mentioned they wanted, the, you know, the crowds to be a little bit like Glastonbury's type themed or, or whatever. I'd like to see how she sees that working. Um, I think maybe yeah. what she meant as well, if you, if you saw the cricket, you know, the 100, mm. that type of thing where everybody's kind of going, I think, you know, ultimately there's still a lot of question marks over what they're going to be doing, mm-hmm. you know, going forward. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you and I are kind of a little bit, we're apprehensive because we're like, well, what does that really, what does this really look like? Yeah. You know, so I agree with you, Farah. I think, Leanne, sorry, they, they need to stop. If the, the more they compare and try and do things like the men's game, they're never going to, it's never going to work. So I think that they have to take it completely away from how the men's game has been successful. Because ours doesn't mirror that. Our game don't mirror that. We have to accept that it don't mirror that. And we have to accept that there actually are people that like football but don't like women's football. And we ain't going to draw those fans to us. So we have to take, you know, that acceptance and be like, okay, we need to, as you mentioned there, get a new crowd in, you know, expose it to, to different sports fans. And maybe that might work for them. And finally, we heard exclusively from Nigerian international Ashley Plumtra, who made the move to Al Etihad last season. Yeah, I've been out here for four, five months now. I came here in September. Um, it kind of came around really, I guess, unexpectedly. Um, I came, basically, I was at Leicester and then I came to the end of my contract and was just kind of renegotiating there and this came up and my dad's my agent and I said well I had no real interest initially and honestly I was like well what am I going to do out there and then basically the way it came about was just having a conversation with the coach and the staff here for an like an hour conversation and in that time we we barely spoke about football it was more just about like our ambitions as, as people the values that we have and the the impact we want to have on on the people around us and I was kind of of sold from there yeah you probably sound like you're probably on repeat because a lot of people have obviously asked you similar questions because i've watched some of your interviews as well but obviously you have to understand it's quite intriguing because there's a lot of talk about the men's you know the league and you know the expectation of the women you're probably the most recognizable name that's over there right now has the league kind of surprised you is it is it been unexpected how good it is like give us a little bit of background on your experiences so far yeah i think 
in all honesty, I came here and I didn't really look into too much on like necessarily the standard. Um, I think I'm a little bit different. You might have heard this in other interviews I've had is I feel like my purpose and fulfillment in football goes beyond just playing itself. And um, I do have very high standards of myself. So um, when I came here, I knew that I wasn't going to be challenged necessarily the same way I was in the Super League, but um, I still can put those expectations on myself and I'm still able to work in a way where I can still improve. Like I feel as if I also have responsibilities to keep improving for the sake of the national team as well. Like being with Nigeria, obviously when I when I go there, I'm always challenged not only with the, the plays that I'm around, but also the teams that we play. But that's another thing. I'm 25 and I still have ambitions of getting better. And I think I'm in an environment here where I'm around people that also, like there are other internationals here who also challenge me. I also get the, the benefit of being around Saudi players who want to absorb as much information as they can from me. And I think as well, just little things, honestly, like, like in training, I think I did probably demand even higher standards of myself based on where I've played before. So if I do make like just little things like if I do make a mistake, I'm probably more harder on myself because the one thing I don't want to do is get complacent. Um, but I have noticed that there's some, like I'm a defender, I scored, I think when I was at Leicester, I probably scored three goals in four years that I was there. And then now I'm scored, I think, yeah, six. And yeah, it's a surprise to me, but I'm getting in positions where, in all honesty, when I was playing in the Super League, I had a very specific role, but here I have more freedom and I've been able to do things that I didn't actually realise I could do. Um, which has been really interesting for me, actually. Yeah, and what's it like? You know, this is my last question about Saudi, because I want to talk a little bit more about you personally as a player. You know, obviously there was a talk about a lot of women and females not allowed into the stadiums. What's been your experience of that? Mm. Oh, I, um, you know, the, the games that we've played, it's actually been really nice. And I've always, always taken a lot of, yeah, let's say it's a responsibility, but also I care a lot about fans that come. I think it's a big thing when fans actually like they pay money and take their time. Like time is something you can never get back and they spend time coming to our games to watch. And we have a lot of what's actually really nice is I've actually seen a lot of um, dads come with their daughters. Like there there are a lot of, of uh, female fans that come and mainly like aspiring female football players out here that come. And because we don't have necessarily all the time, we don't have huge crowds. We did in our derby game. Um, but it allows it in a way to be a bit more personable. So we can actually see them after the game, have pictures, speak to them. And um, and also, the, what's also nice in this city is we can go out and people can recognise us and also talk to us. Like I went to breakfast like with, uh, a couple of days ago with a teammate and some girls who are footballers out here came and we can have chats with them. Like That's a big thing for me. Like I don't want to just be someone that can't be um I can't actually have like chats with these fans and these people like I'm very big on having individual interactions with people and how can I impact that's like obviously people made so many comments about me moving out here but I'm very big on um knowing individuals like I always say I can't change never gonna be able to change the world but if I can actually have an impact on on a community or a small group of people then that that means the, the most to me 
Yeah, I related to that a lot because when I went to Qatar, I've been going there for like five years and I went there for the World Cup and I said, it's the safest place I've ever been to. Don't always believe, you know, they might have some really bad laws that I don't agree with, but I've, I feel safer when I'm there than probably when I'm in England. So, you know, people mm. have to experience things firsthand to maybe understand the impact you can make. Um, so enough about Saudi. I want to talk to you about playing in the World Cup. And obviously, you know, how much do you think about the England game and the kind of what ifs afterwards? I saw your interview and I agree <laughs> with something that you said with regards to about African players and people often kind of like this racial bias that there is with regards to saying that, you know, all black players are just strong and quick. And I've always said this for years. I feel like, you know, a technical, we're also good on the ball, but no one ever talks about that. So talk to me firstly about that game and the experience for you playing against your former national team, England. And obviously the comments you made afterwards. Yeah, I, actually, I was actually talking to a family member this morning about that exact game. And it was really, to date, it's probably the most enjoyable game I've ever been a part of. And for so many reasons, like I knew before the World Cup, I just had this feeling that we'd end up playing them. I just had this really weird feeling. And and a lot of people were, you know, they'd say, you know, if if you could go and play for England, would you? And blah 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 and I said like, I think that's why people don't really listen to my story like the reason that I decided to play for Nigeria right. and I played like when I played that game I went in and all honesty I went into the game not fully fit like far from it I'll be honest I don't really go into it a lot but I struggled all of the end of last season and during the World Cup with an injury um but yeah I went into the game just with I'd, honestly, I just felt grateful that I could be in a position on the world stage to be able to play. Amazing. All right. There's a new thing we did. It We did it with Laura Coombs last week. Sanderson's Fire Five. Just a little bit of fun. So who's the best player you've played with? Oh, uh, for some reason, I'll be honest, it always comes back to when I was at Notts County and Carly Telford was, I just always thought she was unbelievable when I was a kid. So she's the first person that comes to my mind. Yeah, she's a good teammate as well. I played together with Cardi for a number of years at England. Top girl. Um, best player you've played against? Laura James. Okay. Elaborate a little bit on that, because obviously she's hot property right now. Back-to-back hat-tricks at Stamford Bridge. What is it that makes her so difficult to mark? Her Everything about her is innate like that stuff cannot be taught you know a center of gravity like I'm somebody who's almost six foot tall so having to maneuver my body to be able to mark and play against somebody like that is um yeah super super difficult it's the same thing I actually had with when we played Sam Kerr I know she's not the the same player as Lauren James but just her athleticism with with Sam Kerr especially is just yeah unreal Amazing. And holiday destination? Probably Hawaii. Oh, just Hawaii, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and also, you know, last couple, winning the Champions League or winning the league? The league. And only because of the reason why I play. Okay. And what's your favourite movie? This sounds so pathetic. My favourite film is called The Little Prince. And only because of the meaning behind it. It's based on a book. It's actually meant for children. Well, it's a children's film, but meant for adults. All right, Ashley. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You've been amazing. Honestly, I could talk to you forever. Good luck in Saudi. Wishing you all the best. And maybe I'll come out to one of your games. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Thanks so much, Leanne. I asked Farrah what role the Saudi Pro League 
could play in women's football over the next few years. That was a shock to me that she went there. You know, I thought she was performing really well at Leicester, one of their standout players in, in a struggling Leicester team last season. And I thought, you know, for a player like that with ambition, I thought maybe she'd go to a WSL team or a team within Europe, you know, playing in the Champions League. I thought that would have been her next step in terms of her progression. It's certainly, you know, playing in the World Cup for Nigeria. So I was shocked to see her go to a league that is a developing league. Um, I didn't expect that from somebody young, ambitious, um, you're right she sounds like she's enjoying herself and do we see other people going there you've seen what happened you know with some of the men's players and Jordan Henderson in particular you, you know it, it sounds great and financially it, you know obviously the rewards of that but the lifestyle maybe don't probably live up to what they're used to and they probably can't do the things that you know they can here in you know in England or in Europe so I think it'll be an interesting one I don't think the league is at a level where if you go there and you're an international footballer and certainly not a lioness um, will you be able to s sustain a level of, of you know, quality to be able to be picked for your national team? Yeah, I think judging by what Ashley was telling me, and I really related to her because she obviously thinks about life outside of football and kind of doing it for the greater good. And that's something she really cares, cares about. And that's something that I've done, you know, when I've gone to other countries, some people might not have understood. So the question is, if you were asked to go towards the end of your career, would you go? I'd run there. Well, it depends how much they're paying. I would have run there <laughs> with what the, some of the finances you hear. You can't deny it, you know, certainly in the women's game as well. Completely different to the men's. I think financially, you, you know, you're not paid a, enough enough money or good quality of money to be like, to be loyal to, to clubs for, for that example. So, yeah, if I was coming towards the end of my career and I was offered, you know, a good salary to go away, it's nice weather, I wouldn't say no for sure. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll be back next Monday for another instalment of the Women's Football Show, where we'll break down another round of WSL fixtures. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.